Wear a mask, save a life. The Alexandria Times is promoting a public service campaign to encourage residents to wear face masks when they are in public and stop the spread of the coronavirus in our community. Welcome back to the Speak Easy. I'm Lindsay Sullivan, a reporter at The Times, and I'll be taking over for this episode. Today, I am joined by Heather Rosner, a music teacher at George Mason Elementary School. She's had to adapt to online schooling this year, and she's done a really great job at incorporating uh, different ways of teaching music this year. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about that and her journey to Alexandria. Thanks for joining me, Heather. I'm happy to be here. So, yeah, did you want to just um, start off by maybe talking a little bit about your journey getting to Alexandria and what made you get involved with uh, teaching music? Yeah, so I am actually born and raised in the DMV, um, not Alexandria on the other side of the water. So um, it was a big deal to move across the, the Potomac. Um, I went to school up in New York, upstate New York in Ithaca, and um, I was wanted to come back to my family, come back to the womb. So I was looking for a school system that kind of met my interest. Most of my teaching before coming to Alexandria was um, working in residential treatment facilities, mostly correctional facilities, um, state-run facilities where kids are court-ordered to be there. So my goal for teaching music has always been to provide access to all kids, making sure that everybody has an opportunity to experience music education and doing that in unconventional settings. You know, like if I'm thinking about my, like my trajectory and my philosophy of like how this all, it's like making sure that all kids can access music. Mm -hmm. So it started in correctional facilities. It started working with um, kids that would never end up in band programs, and then how to provide access in the public school setting. So my like underlying vision has always been, everybody should have access to music and it should be treated like core curriculum. And especially kids that are in residential facilities, they need a place to go when they get out. And the best place to go, in my opinion, is the band room, the kids that like are, you know, have the support from families, they have after school activities, they have trips to go on. So my goal for these kids was, let's get them playing, let's give them enough skills. So when they get out into the world that they can become socially mobile in the world through music. Mm -hmm. And so when I came to this area, I was looking to support at risk youth, I was working to build programs that maybe didn't have programs. Um, and you know, I applied in a bunch of areas, but what attracted me really to the Alexandria area was I love its big city um, access and its small town feel. So I felt like I could reach everybody. You know, you have you have the money, you have the resources, you have the access to the city, the access to my family. So I'm close to home. And but you also have some real inner city issues in Alexandria and I felt like I could really make a difference and provide access in to kids that wouldn't necessarily also access our programs because often the kids that are participating whether in their they're in um, affluent areas or poor areas no matter what the kids that are participating are always the parent the kids with parents who have supportive families 
who have the financial means to do it. And I wanted to kind of break those barriers in, in, in Alexandria. Mm. And so when I first started teaching in this, in, in Alexandria, I was at three schools and I was at Mount Vernon, George Mason and Core Kelly. And the programs, um, were small and they didn't represent the face of the school. You know, if the school is 65% of kids from this neighborhood and 35% of the kids from this neighborhood, well, the band should be the representation of the school. It should be the face of the school and all of the kids should have access to it. And my goal was to break down the barriers. Why aren't kids participating in these programs? Is it money? Is it time? Um, Is it, they just don't know about it. And so you know, I spent a, a lot of time that first year is breaking those barriers down. Well, why aren't these kids participating? And oftentimes it's just because families don't know it's available. And we're assuming that families know it's available. Um, when you send home that piece of paper, it's like, hey, come sign up for band. And if we don't get the paper back, well, it's like, okay, only the kids that sent the paper back are the kids that are participating. And we don't treat any other subject like that. We don't treat math like that. We don't treat reading like that. So why are we treating instrumental music like that? And so my goal is always, my bar is always 100% of kids should be playing. And if that's the goal, then, well, we got to make sure everybody knows this this is a thing that you can do. And so um, I got rid of the sign-up forms. I did petting zoos for kids where everybody comes to the petting zoo. Everybody touches an instrument and knows that it's something they can be a part of. And in that first year, the programs got huge. And um, to Alexandria City Public Schools credit, they noticed the size of the programs. And then the following year, I only had two schools, which was awesome. Um, And there's actually been that that has been happening in Alexandria City in the 10 years, I guess this is my 11th year of being there, is they are noticing the interest and the involvement in instrumental music. They are bringing on more personnel to serve the kids and there is money happening now for that to happen. So you kind of started talking about this a little bit, but what has that looked like for you this year as everything went virtual, um, continuing to help kids learn music and continuing to get them access to it? Yeah, so it's not much different, you know, it's like we started our year out and kids needed equipment. And so we just had to figure out how to get it to them. And um, I have a really, really good relationship with Community Lodgings, and they have been um, a huge support for the kids and for instrumental music in the last, all the time that I've been there. I've been um, teaching lessons there every Monday after school for the past 10 years in community lodging. So I've had an opportunity to get to know the staff there. And it's really a place where the families get to meet me in uh, what I see as a non-threatening place. It's not like the school that they have to walk a mile and a half to get to. It's, It's their neighborhood. And so I feel a part of the neighborhood there. And it's been really easy to transfer that idea. Now we're in virtual, but I still need a touch point. And it's so hard for families right now. So I can go down there. I was able to distribute instruments down at the building. If I need something, I can call Gwen. She's awesome. If a kid didn't pick something up, she'll hold on to the instrument for me. Um, You know, I know where all the neighborhoods are, um, the different, you know, apartments are down there. So I can just be like, all right, meet me at the bottom down here. Like, I feel very at home down there. And I feel like I have a really strong home base with community lodgings to 
that has been able to back me getting the materials and the support. So, you know, equipment's one, right? Well, that's the same thing. You know, when we were providing access to kids, when we were in school, it's like, we need equipment. Okay, so we're dealing with equipment. And one of the beautiful things is families have also been reaching out to me being like, Heather, what do you need? Mm -hmm. How can we, how can we continue to support this? Um, Because now I really feel like it's part of the fabric of our community. And I'm getting emails about, Heather, do any kids need reads? Can I help distribute instruments for you? You know, what are, what, what can we do to help get behind this? And so that's really, um, you know, I don't have to work as hard anymore because I really just have such, um, such loving families Mm -hmm. to, to get behind this. So we got the materials um, and, you know, then it's like, well, how do you actually (laughs) deliver instruction? And all of our families are dealing with issues of everybody's in the house right now. Um, people are working in the house. People have siblings that are also on their other school calls. Um, I have uh, kids that used to just practice at school or at community lodgings with me are now in small apartments, like blowing their horns. So we have, we do have some new challenges that we faced. And when I was at school, I used to do uh, morning jam sessions. So kids could come in, they could hop off the bus or walk to school and come on in. We could have our morning jam sessions and then they could go to class. So the issue of practice at home wasn't really an issue because we had that space available at school. And now when we're in such short, um, small quarters, we're dealing with those kinds of issues. I've even had a parent being like, wait, really? Is this really gonna happen? Like trumpet in the background while I'm on a meeting? <laughs> I was like, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> we are, but let me talk to you about some solutions, you know? <laughs> I even like shoved a sock in my belt to be like, guys, just put a sock in the end of your bell and just, just play your trumpet. You know, I think one of the things that whether we're in school or not in school, I never wanted there to be a reason we couldn't keep playing. Um, When I was at Mount Vernon my first year, we were on um, stage, so I didn't have a classroom. Anytime there was an assembly, we had to leave the auditorium. And I could have said, okay, guys, band's canceled today, but the time is now. If I had to cancel for everything that's happening, these kids wouldn't get the instruction they needed. And so we used to just go out on the front stoop and play outside the office and the office loved it. So it was like, all right, guys, grab a stand. Let's go. We're going to keep going here. And I think it's the same thing here. It's like, well, we got meetings in the house. Okay. We got, uh, you know, you have three siblings next to you who are doing Zooms. You have a three-year-old running through the room. Like we still have to keep learning and So, you know, there's a three-year-old, I'm like, hey, give your little three-year-old brother the mouthpiece, show him how to buzz. Like, let's, let's get this little guy buzzing. So now I have like little first graders and five-year-olds and six-year-olds learning how to tinker on the instruments with their siblings. So that's been really fun. Um, And just finding ways to involve the little kids that are pitter-pattering through the screen and um, finding times of day. Sometimes I have to find an alternative time to work with a kid just because, you know, oh, this is always my baby sister's nap time. So like, well, what time works for you? Let's find a time. And I try to be really, really flexible. Like that's the name of the game right now. And I try to talk to my kids. Okay. What are the barriers you're facing at home right now? Is there a lot going on? Is there a better time of day? Is there space in your house to pull the instrument out? 
And I feel like when I'm sitting down with my kids, they want to problem solve this. They're ready to problem solve. And so I've had kids like playing in a closet, you know, they'll play along with me on a Saturday. We'll, we'll catch up on a Saturday. So maybe they're not attending the big class or they are attending, but they're not participating fully. And then we check in another time. And so, but the underlying thing is always like, well, how can they access when I'm thrown down? Mm -hmm. Like, how can we figure out a way to continue that? So it's like equipment. We need the time and space to do it. We need a safe space to be able to play in. And then it's like, oh, well, material, like what am I, how am I going to teach band in this, in this setting? Right. And, you know, I think like any other subject, you have to figure it out. And it's dangerous for us right now. We have the luxury of saying only some kids can participate. There's no quota out there. There's nothing telling me that all of my kids have to keep playing. Mm. There's nothing saying that I need to figure it out for these kids because there's no standardized test and there isn't the kind of accountability that a classroom teacher has. And for me, that's a, that's a blessing because I feel like I can have the autonomy to do what I do and get really creative without having to fulfill all of these specific requirements that I may or may not think work for my students. But the other side of that is because there isn't this standard where everybody must play and must learn these things, something like music during this pandemic where we've moved virtual and supervision is different and participation participation and community involvement's a little bit different, these things could really trickle out really easily. And um, you know, it's now is the time when we have to be even more present and find a way to be more involved and more visible and more in the home. So s instrumental music programs and music programs and arts programs don't disappear. So, you know, there's just this like, well, how do I reinvent this? How can I reinvent this? And I think what has been the most um, valuable piece is that our music community has just changed a little bit and it's for the better. I think, because in this capacity, families are getting involved in their child's instrumental music learning mm -hmm. in a way that I haven't done before that I really feel like when this is over, I want to keep doing. Like I have, you know, dad who hasn't played guitar in 10 years, picking up guitar, learning a few chords so he can go ahead and play dynamite with their kid or um, I have, you know, somebody who's a piano player in the house who is playing along with their child or the siblings have been crucial right now. You know, when you've been teaching in the same school for, this is my 11th year, I'm on kid number three, which is like kind of wild. I guess I'm like really old now, <laughs> but I'm on kid three here. And I have, there is a musician in that house now because for the past, I want to say, I don't know how many years I've had a hundred percent placement at George Mason now for, I don't know, four or five years. Mm -hmm. And that means all of those siblings have been playing. And even before that, the numbers, we were always inching towards that. And so somebody's playing in the house. So this year, when kids were selecting their instrument, I asked them, I was like, hey, you know, I know your brother plays trumpet. Do you think, what do you think about doing trumpet with your brother this year? So we have an expert in the house who can be hands-on with you. And some of them are like, yeah, I totally want to be like my older brother, you know? <laughs> and the other ones are like, oh, no way. There's no way I'm playing anything that my sibling has ever touched. So it has gone both ways. Um, 
But for the most part, there has been this um, real excitement and involvement from the siblings that is just awesome. I mean, I'm in the middle of a lesson and one of my kids having a valve problem and I'm like, hey, where's your sister right now? Can, can you go get your sister to fix your trumpet valve real quick? I'm like, totally, totally fine for them to leave class. And, you know, here I see now like big sister rolling into the Zoom, helping out. And I've even sent um, the siblings like assignments. I was like, hey, here's what I need your like little brother, little sister to be able to do for next week. Can you work on this thing? So now I just have this like network of co-teachers, which has been really, really neat and so fun to watch. Um, And I think that has been the one of the just incredible beauties of this. And I know that families are probably seeing this in lots of other ways too, siblings stepping up and supporting each other because that's, you know, who we have right now. Um, But it's so fun, you know, here I am alone on in my basement on a Zoom and I see like, you know, all my old students walking through the screen, coming in to support their siblings. Um, And it's been, it's been really special. And seeing the parents also jump in, you know, I had a dad come in and play drum set in our class wow. with the kids so we could all play smoke on the water together. So he's like <laughs> jamming out on the, on the drum set. And um, I've seen parents, you know, come in. One of my requirements for saxophone this year was to have parent involvement because it is one of the hardest instruments to assemble. And with their little fingers, they have such a hard time manipulating things in the beginning. And so it's been fun to watch the parents go through what I go through. You know, they're trying to figure out how to put these reeds on and everything. And in a case where a parent wasn't available, I've had an older sibling now, like an older sibling. I had to get excused for that sibling to miss class. And I said, look, you know, I emailed the PE teacher. I was like, do you think, do you think your student can miss 20 minutes of class for the next two weeks to support their little sister learning a new instrument? And there's also been that kind of support too. So I've just been so pumped and excited to see a lot of my former players, even if they're not playing anymore, just kind of get into the game with us, mm-hmm. you know, like jump in. So that's been, um, that's been really helpful to have my little co-teachers along with me who are not really that little anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So how has being online affected your actual like music decisions? Um, Cause obviously there are no shows this year or at least this semester. So how has that affected like what you choose to teach the students? Yeah, so um, I have been trying to keep it light. You know, we're not doing band repertoire this year. There's none of this stuffy band repertoire, although we never were really super stuffy. But um, it doesn't make sense to play a band piece. You know, there's been a lot of cool stuff going on out there where people are learning their band parts and then the music teachers are layering in the tracks so you could have this sense of a piece together. But um, while that's really cool and it creates, it it definitely puts on a great show for its audiences. Um, the thing that I find most valuable right now is being able to play music that's relevant to what's going on in the kids' lives. So I've been picking music that they love, something, you know, eight to 16 measures, something we can accomplish in maybe one or two lessons and music that, um, can be relevant to the household. So if somebody has a birthday coming up, like, of course we need to know how to play happy birthday. And so kids learning to play happy birthday, 
I had a family send a video playing happy birthday out of the sunroof, make playing happy birthday for grandma over FaceTime, like choosing music that's relevant to them. You know, we're doing a lot of pop songs. Um, we just finished Here Comes the Sun. And um, we did this last week, we did Despacito, doing children's songs that are relevant to their siblings, like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and Los Poitos, and just trying to pick things that can involve the family and picking things that the kids can um, feel success about. You know, when you go home and practice your band part, it doesn't really sound like anything. You'll like sit home and you're the baseline. You're like, boom, 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 <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And it doesn't sound like a song. So the family's like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, they're practicing their baseline. And then they come to the concert and they're like, whoa, look how all of this came together. Well, we're not going to have that this time. So now we need songs that the parents can sing and the children can sing along to that are just melodies. So, you know, we did some Billy Joel and you know, uh, we're doing some Star Wars and just that kind of music. And then, you know, there's the repertoire piece. Okay, now we're doing lots of fun songs. Well, how do you deliver it on these tiny little Chromebooks? So I'm finding, um, I'm thankful ACBS has provided us with some really great music writing software. So I use um, my Sibelius all the time. I can color code, I can enlarge. Um, so I can do a lot of music writing and I've had to play with the formatting so it's really accessible on these little screens. So I'm finding, you know, only a certain number of measures fits well on their screen so they don't have to scroll as much. So I've been having to get creative visually on how to support them because what most of them have is just their Chromebook. Um, and I've been providing like instructional videos so they can, you know, have me over dinner. I'd be like, guys, when you're bored tonight, why don't you bust out Miss Rosner working on it with you on the first two measures of blah, blah, blah. Um, so there's been a lot of like songs that are short enough. So we don't have a ton of scrolling that are relevant to their lives in the moment. And then having instructional videos to support them. So they have, um, Miss Rosner, you know, at the dinner table. Mm. Yeah. What's it like sharing some of that music like Billy Joel and the Beatles? Because I'm sure for some young students, that's the first time that they're listening to that kind of music. So what kind of reactions have you gotten? Oh, um, my parents have been the ones that are loving it. You know, I'll get like Nemo. Oh, Heather was so pumped <laughs> to hear, you know, the piano man in the background. And I remember um, that in particular, I remember starting that piece. And then I was like, oh, the lyrics of this one, like this <laughs> probably wasn't the best choice for me to choose. And so I remember sending it a follow-up email being like, hey, saxophone team, you know, uh, I realized I wasn't really thinking through the lyrics of this one. We we're just learning the the notes, but I want to just run by it with you, run by this with you to make sure it's an okay thing to be teaching. And a lot of, you know, and these are parents that in some cases, I'm on kid two or three with, they're like, Heather, oh man, if anybody's going to teach them anything, like, let it be Billy Joel. And we were so happy to hear it. And we couldn't believe like how great they sounded, you know, just in a few lessons of it. So um, families have been really excited about it. I had a mom in the background. I was working on Los Poitos um, with one of my flute players a few weeks ago and mom's in the background humming, you know, she's in the room humming along with it. and. Um, 
And believe it or not, the kids know some of this old stuff. They know, they know the Beatles. Um, and even if they don't, it's a great opportunity for us to, to talk about that. And of course, they know Despacito and we did Senorita and, um, you know, I'm trying to pick, we did Fight Song, you know, which now, you know, one, one other cool benefit is that I'm home with my four-year-old a lot, but he is hearing all of the lessons. Like, <laughs> you know, he's upstairs, so like, there's no way I'm not, you know, he can't hear everything. So not only is he like singing all the warm-ups, but he's also upstairs being like, this is my fight song. <laughs> so I'm like cracking up because he's, um, he's also getting into the tunes. I was going to ask, is he musical? Oh, yeah, I had to. Oh, I mean, of course, right? He's obviously a musical <laughs> genius because he's my child. Um, no, but he's had access to instruments his whole life in like a really informal kind of way. Mm. Um, but right before this pandemic hit, I bought him this pocket trumpet, which is like a, it's a real trumpet, but it's kind of, it's mini. It's wrapped really tight. So he totally wants to come jam on the trumpet. He's like, mom, can I bring my trumpet down and join the lesson? You know what I mean? <laughs> Which honestly, you know, they have all their siblings are running through. It's funny. So every now and then I'll hear like, oh gosh, he's up there playing his trumpet along with, uh, you know, but that's our new reality. Right. And, and it's, um, I think it's cool the way that families have become involved. And, you know, I think it's also helpful for my kids to hear my, my kiddo and my family, you know, making noise in the background to know it's like, you're not alone. You're not alone. Like we are all surrounded by all of our family all of the time right now. Yeah. So don't sweat it. And we talk about it too, you know, to help my kids feel comfortable with the fact that, you know, their little toddler just like ran away with their mouthpiece in the middle of the <laughs> lesson because that's happened. Um, so yeah, that's been kind of a neat thing to have my, my son be really uh, jamming out yeah. during, during lessons upstairs. <laughs> he's, he's living the dream. It sounds like. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, just from like a general viewpoint, like aside from COVID and everything that it's done to learning, um, what do you think is the value of teaching music to kids of this age group? So I think, you know, like I touched on before is I believe that music is, should be part of the core curriculum. I believe it. it's an intelligence in and of itself. You can make a living as a musician, as a teacher, as a composer. Um, I mean, the possibilities are endless. And if we really believe it it's, as it, its own intelligence and that it is core curriculum, then it's something that should be taught, just like everything else, like math and reading and science. And, you know, I think the benefit is that we are tapping into a really important part of our lives. It's aesthetic education. You know, music in and of itself can be something really, really fulfilling for all of us, fulfilling financially, fulfilling, um, you know, just it's aesthetic education. And I think every kid deserves to have that. And, you know, that's why, you know, from the correctional facilities to like teaching in, in public schools, um, and virtually in person, whatever, like every kid deserves an opportunity to make music and to learn music and to be literate, to be literate musicians. And even if it's something that they decide not to do as a profession, um, they will be critical listeners and, a, 
and be able to appreciate music and the arts in a way that they maybe wouldn't be able to before because they're educated. Mm. You know, it's like if you study photography and you go to an art gallery and you look at a picture, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I see the contrast <laughs> thing. They must have had an aperture of whatever something. I don't know photography at all. That's but good. They would, you know, <laughs> they would go in and be able to see and appreciate what that artist put into it because they have because they're educated mm -hmm. by it. You know, and it's music's the same thing. They'll listen to it in a different way. They'll appreciate it in a different way. They'll be supporters forever. You know, they will be the folks attending our concerts when they're older and the ones that continue to believe in it as um, as an important part of the human experience. And, um, you know, if they leave George Mason and never play again, I, I want to be feel confident knowing that they have a strong basis that they're literate, that they can read music, that their ear, they're training their ear. They've been able to hold something shiny and special, mm. you know, even if they never do again and that they'll have that memory to look back on too, you know, like when they're 65 being like, oh man, I totally remember the George Mason band. Or maybe they go off, you know. I remember I worked with this incredible guy when I was in Syracuse. I was teaching in inner city Syracuse and they, um, there's this guy um, named Dick Ford, and he worked for Signature Syracuse, and he was a real band extremist. He was like, look, by the time these kids get to their junior year, if they're able to write a college essay, then why aren't we preparing all of our musicians to be able to play a solo for an audition? Hmm. They should be prepared to do that, just in the same way that, you know, kids are prepared in all of their other subject matters. And so he was he created a center out um, in Syracuse where kids came. And the goal of that program was for kids by the time they hit their junior year, that they're prepared to play a solo and that they're going to be going to music schools, local music schools on scholarship. And I had an opportunity to work with him. And while I feel mostly the same way about that, I mean, it is a driving force for me. It's like, I want to set these kids up. So if they choose to take this road, that they have the skills in place so they can be socially mobile in the world on an instrument as a musician. And if I was a math teacher, I would be doing the same thing as a math teacher. I would want to provide them all the building blocks and the skills. So if they decide to go off and, and be scientists or, you know, accountants or whatever it is that they have the skills that when they leave us, that they can make the choices um, that they would like to make. Um, and have have the skills to do that and so i just i just believe that you know music education and having a music intelligence is a valuable thing in and of itself um and that all of our kids should experience it wear a mask save a life face masks combined with continued physical distancing can help prevent the spread of the novel coronavirus in the alexandria community spread the word not the disease I want to take a little bit of a turn here because uh, oh. <laughs> you spent some time in Ghana, right? Yeah. How did that, uh, your time there and your experiences kind of influence what you bring into the classroom? Yeah. Wow. Ghana, um, uh, 
totally rocked my world. I had an opportunity when I was in maybe my junior year of undergrad, I had a professor be like, Hey, want to go to Ghana? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I had never left the country at that point. <laughs> so I was like, all right, my first trip going to Ghana. Um, and I've never stopped going back. Um, I have been studying at a music center in Ghana and I really consider them my, um, the crew, my second family. They've been to George. Um, I study with a performing ensemble. So these are some musicians who, who their goal is to preserve traditional music. And, um, I had an opportunity to study with them over the years and, and get really close with the family over the years. And they've come to George Mason. They come and perform with my students. Um, and what's been really cool is I've been, I've had an opportunity to learn a whole different style of music and bring it to kids here and continue this relationship with my friends there. So there's this ongoing appreciation and love for, for the, the music and, and I use it to help um, to educate my kids about Africa and about specifically West Africa and Ghana. So it's been a nice way for me to have conversations about things that we don't always get to talk about in school. Um, so George Mason has a West African geo ensemble. So we, I teach these giant xylophones that are handmade and um, they're handmade from basically a, a West African rosewood and beautiful gourds hanging from it. And you wouldn't see it anywhere else except at George Mason. <laughs> so, um, and um, so we have a West African geo ensemble. The kids get to learn traditional music from the Dagara people, which is a very small ethnic group in the Northern part of Ghana. And my kids have met my friends from Ghana and that they're real people uh, with real families who use technology and um, are brilliant musicians. And so my kids get to learn about a little bit about Ghanaian culture and they get to learn a little bit about the music and they get to play this mesmerizing music. And um, we also have a drumming ensemble too, a drum and dance ensemble. So I've seen a lot of my fourth and first, fifth graders really get down. <laughs> They're learning how to do some of the, 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 the West African dancing, which has been really fun and also a way to make it our own. So that's been really, really neat to um, to see that relationship continue. And I don't, um, I'm really careful to make sure that the relationship continues, that my kids get to know um, the musicians in Ghana, that I stay in touch with them, that they are becoming to be part of the George Mason community too. Um, the kids, every couple of years, the PTA has sponsored the, the drumming ensemble to perform for the students. Um, just a few years ago, you know, my first, I want to say maybe my second trip to Ghana, um, I brought back all these xylophones and they had been in the correctional facility that I'd been teaching up in New York and they'd been sitting there and, you know, I had left that job after teaching there for about two and a half years and the Jeels had been sitting there ever since. And I already had gotten some Jeels for George Mason. The PTA had actually, um, were awesome and had set aside some money for us to buy some jewels for George Mason. 
And then I had these four other xylophones that had just been sitting there and the facility just shut down about two years ago. So I called up there and I was like, Hey, I know your facility just shut down. Do you think, um, do you think I can have those geals that have been sitting there for like 10 years? And it just so happened the person who answered the phone was an old friend of mine who like taught me salsa lessons in Ithaca. And she was like, all right, let me get back to you. And you know, later that afternoon, she's like, Heather, they're yours. Let me, I'll hold on to them for you. So my friends happened to be visiting from Ghana. They're home-based in Buffalo. So, and they were coming down to perform at George Mason like two weeks later. So on their way down, they picked up the Jeels and the master um, Jeel player, Jerome, who uh, is from Ghana, he repaired all of them for us. So he was sitting at George Mason, like hand carving, tightening up the leathers on them, you know, making, tuning them for us. And he got them all set up and we were able to perform it last year, which was really um, special. Um, But my hope is actually, so I have a drumming ensemble going right now virtually. So that's really cool. And my hope is to zoom into Ghana in the next, in the coming months to get my teachers to virtually do workshops with them and like keep keep that connection alive but it has been hard uh they have been hard hit a lot of people have been hard hit um but I feel very lucky that my students are kind of experiencing the love of that um that I've had the opportunity to so and the kids love it the families love it you know we get dressed up I support a local tailor a West African tailor from Nigeria and Ghana and they tailor us shirts for the performances and you know we really do it up and we talk um we talk about it a lot and I think that's cool and it's a safe space for us to talk about it too you know kids to be like well what is this place really like and um so I I feel like um you know hoping this is all over that that the group will be able to come back again and um I think actually the reality is when this is over we won't be blowing so I have a feeling you know, if we're, whenever we're back in school, that I'm hoping to teach a lot more jeel, a lot more hand drumming. We're going to do some ukulele, I hope, some guitar, because we're going to have to be reinventing ourselves like everybody else in this. Um, and I'm already thinking, all right, like, what can we do? You know, how are we going to continue making music, even though we won't be able to do it in the same ways that we've been able to do it? And so I feel really lucky that the kids, um, we have the jeels to do it. And um, I'm hoping that we can do a lot more things, you know, that just aren't blowing. And I'm hoping we'll buy a couple more jeels. So if anybody wants to buy some jeels for George Mason, who's listening right now, ah, we definitely, we're going to need a handful more. Um, But uh, I think that'll be exciting because I I love teaching that stuff. So, you know, a year from now, the, the George Mason Elementary School Jazz Band, Concert Band, Symphonic Band, whatever you want to call it, we are now going to be the ukulele, guitar, jeel, <laughs> drumming, like you name it. We're, we're going we're gonna to do it. Absolutely. Everything has changed. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, you know? Yeah. That's so, so special, though, that you've been able to connect your students with your friends in Ghana. Like, I don't think that's something a lot of elementary students can say that they've experienced. So that's really cool. I know. I actually, I really, really, this is like totally off the cuff. I want to do a trip. Like I want to take the kids to the music center. Like how awesome would that be? Um, just get a bunch of kids, like 
you know, kids go to band competitions in Florida or whatever. Can't we just, you know, go to Ghana? It's it's like an it's like no big deal. It's an eight hour plane ride. And you know, they take such good care of us. And um I think that would be my next real, real, real big dream. And I have to say, you know, one thing I'm really thankful for is Alexandria is always giving me the opportunity to really dream. Mm -hmm. And my principles have been in the past so supportive and the family's been supportive, you know, that when I went to my principal's office, I was like, hey, uh, what do you think about me um, buying a bunch of Jeels to have a Jeel ensemble? And they're like, what? Uh, (laughs) What are you talking about? Like, what is this thing? So not only did they support getting, you know, Jeels or, you know, I'm like, I want to start an elementary school jazz band. What do you think about that? And they're like, um, all right. All right, cool. Yeah, go for it. You know, like nobody's ever stopped me. And um, people have really embraced uh, my big dreams. And, you know, even to the point of, you know, right now, Dr. Oliver, who's our principal, she's had to house a couple of Jeels in her office because we kind of ran out of room. So, you know, <laughs> she's been living with some xylophones, no big deal. And so I wouldn't be surprised if next year we just have a giant, you know, Jill ensemble or something, something of that sort, you know, we just got to do it. We can't let, you know, I think one thing in education that can be really dangerous is that thinking that you went into this, that you were going to be handed, you know, here are your kids, here's your classroom, here's all your curriculum and text, everybody's going to be compliant, here's your schedule, it's all going to be perfect, walk in, no big deal. This is, that's not public education. Mm. You know, if you kind of went into public education thinking that it was going to be easy, you're in the wrong profession. You know, if if, you know, we went into this knowing full well that you're going to hit barriers and we just can't let those barriers be a reason that kids stop learning. You know, we have to see what the barrier is, find the opening and make it happen. Oh, you don't have a classroom. Okay, we'll just we'll learn in the hallway. We don't have materials. We'll go talk about it. Go talk about it with people. Tell tell people what you need because people are happy to get behind things that matter and things that support kids. And it's like, we can't let, oh, you don't have an instrument? Well, did you ask anybody for one? Because I know there's a, there's an instrument somewhere. Like, we got it. We will find ways to do this. So whether it's a pandemic or economic challenges, um, you know, public education is about finding a way to serve kids. And it's like, I'm going to find a way to do this. We're going to find a way to do this, whether it's virtually or in person. It's like my goal is allowing kids to access when I'm throwing down Mm -hmm. and finding opportunities for them to access this. And so I'm not afraid. I'm thinking about it. We got to keep thinking about it. Next year is going to look different. Right now is going to look different. Tomorrow I'm trying to think about, all right, what's the next thing? How how can I keep these kids engaged? Because it's it's hard right now, but that's public education for you. And and there are a lot of amazing and brilliant teachers that are just the stuff that is happening right now. When I pop into a class and I'm like, whoa, what is that software you're using? Like, how how are you even doing that right now? And like, that's, you know, we're public servants. We're in this, you know, we're in this to, to problem solve and find a way to make it work. And um, I just, the, the innovation that's happening right now is incredible. Yeah, you've definitely got the grit for it. <laughs> So realistically going forward, what, like what's going on in your mind for, um, the challenges that online learning potentially might bring in the future? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like, um, 
like I could lose the steam, you know, lose the kids' energy. You know, I see there are moments these lulls, um, and I just, I, I just have to stay fresh. That's why every day I feel like I want a new. Every week it's like, okay, we just need a new song. You know, let's do a new song. Let's just find something different to do, or let's find a new way to deliver to deliver it. So I've been trying to play guitar along with them. You know, maybe to shake it up a little bit. I've been trying to write duets for siblings and parents a little bit more. I'm just trying to find a way to make it a little bit different or whether that's like in the repertoire or the way that I deliver it or, um, I know, just some ways to shake it up, bringing another family member into the room, getting somebody else involved in the experience. And I just think like every week just has to be something fresh, something a little bit different. And I think that's why the music, that's why I, I can't spend more than three weeks on a piece because we're going to lose them. You know, right now we need instant gratification. Like we need something that's going to make us feel good right now. And sometimes when you're working on something really complex that you have to learn over a few months while in person, when you have the energy of each other is something we can do. We can do that kind of detailed work. I've had to kind of like step back a little bit from that detailed work so we can have these moments of like, yes, I just played Despacito. Fine, we learned the melody, we got it, we feel good about it. People in the house can recognize it. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's have something else that can like bring some joy into the household and bring some joy into the experience because it's really hard right now. I mean, pe people are depressed, I'm depressed, I'm bored out of my mind, you know, even though I'm so busy all the time, it's it's the same thing day in and day out. So like keeping it fresh, you know, I'm already emailing all my music friends being like, guys, give me eight measures of something really cool. Like you gotta know something, give it to me. Like we've done Baby Shark, we've done Smoke on the Water, we've done like, hook me up, please. I need, I need whatever you've got right now because, you know, we just gotta pull out all the stops. So before we close, um, we ask a question that the last guest asked. Um, and our last guest was Wellington Watts, who uh, runs the ghost tours in Alexandria. And his question for you is, do you believe in ghosts? And I think I just need a little more convincing. So I hope that he's just going to hook me up with my free ghost tour. Yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> Hook, hook it up. And I think, and think, and that way I can have a really, you know, educated, educated decision about that one. Definitely. What is your question or something you'd like to ask for the next guest? All right. So my question for the next guest is going to be, if you had to be in a room with a bunch of beginning instrumental musicians, fourth graders, nine-year-olds, and you had to be stuck in there for the whole class, what instrument would you pick and why? And choose wisely. <laughs> That's a great question. I can't wait to hear what they say. <laughs> yeah. You'll be able to tell, you'll be able to tell their answer based on whether or not they've ever either had a child who started learning an instrument or if they're a teacher or if they started an instrument themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Heather, thank you so much. It was amazing hearing about your teaching experiences. Um, we really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about something I care about so much. Here we go. One, two, oh boy.
We lost connection. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Okay. Right. For real this time. You ready? Instruments up. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yeah. One, two, go. <laughs> You know, 